Hello, and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at KillerQueensPodcast. And we're on YouTube at KillerQueens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. Hey, dudes. Hi. Maybe we should just be like, hey, Steves. <laughs> Why? Because Steve loves hey, dudes. Oh, it's his baby. I think they are playing favorites here. Well, he comments on the Patreon. If you don't see those, I keep them to myself. Well, all the Patreons. That is not the kind of business partnership that I want to have where you're keeping secrets from me. Mine. Mine. Me, 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 me. Yeah. He will sometimes say, hey, dudes. And I'm like, oh, yeah. (laughs) I was reminded just yesterday when I was talking to Miss KB about how Ben used to do a killer Tory impression where he would go, me, 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 me. I'm like, whoa, I do not sound like that. Uh, yeah, you do. Anytime I open my mouth, it's like D on, <laughs> yeah. it's always sunny where it's like, Bruh. just became a bird. Yeah, yes. Ostrich. <laughs> oh, man. Yep. That's all he's hearing. Yep. Totes. <laughs> Totes. Well, you guys. It's Thanksgiving. It is. Happy Thanksgivings. Mm-hmm. In case we don't see you. Oh. Yep. Yep. Um, we record these early, so it's not it's not Thanksgiving yet, but now I'm trying to get myself in the spirit. Yes. Eat me some ham. <laughs> oh my gosh. I am so ready. Green bean casserole. I'm gonna tear mm. that shit up. Mm. I can't help myself. I love green bean casserole. And I only limit myself to having it around Thanksgiving's times. So as to not ruin and taint the amazingness of it, because if I have it too much, sure, sure. it's not going to be a special, but exactly. Oh my God. I'm, I'm, I'm yearning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm ready for a Thanksgiving meal now too. You know what? Turkey can go kick rocks for all I care. Turkey can. I do enjoy the dressing though. Yeah. I do like the dressing. With some gravy on top and I know y'all's family, they make the real kind of gravy. Mm-hmm. Love mm. it. Love it. Yeah, so we hope y'all are going to have a good Thanksgiving. I hope so, too. I'm thankful for you guys having a good Thanksgiving. Let's see. I think this episode is releasing. If this releases on the 24th, that's the Wednesday. Nope. No, this is a regular. This is not a mixtape. Yeah, what are you doing? So will this release right after Thanksgiving? It will. So hopefully y'all had a good one. Yes. And hopefully you're still eating leftovers. Oh my gosh, yes. Here's something that I need to talk about. It should be privately, but I'm not going to do it there. I'm going to do it here. Sure. Can we please make sure that there's enough of everything for leftovers? Because I can Mm. only do so much with extra ham and extra green bean casserole. Yeah, you need the rolls. Oh my God, the rolls. You need the potatoes. Yes. You need the... You need the dressing. Oh, yeah. You need the dressing. And the gravy, for that matter. And the gravy. And also, this is going to be a curveball to some people, you need the snackums. The pickles. Yes. 100%. That's what I was thinking. Five or six for each meal. <laughs> yeah. 
They're so yeah, good. You need those little pickles. Yes. Oh God. I love it. Yeah. Those are important issues. Yes. You know, so we are just sitting here hoping that your Thanksgiving was amazing, that you got to eat a lot of food, spend time with lots of family and stuff, whatever. But the food (laughs) and the leftovers. And the leftovers, yes. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, let's talk about murder. Let's do that. Let's let's switch over to murder now. I almost went Celine Dion. Let's talk about love. Oh, that's a good song. That's a good song. Mm Mm-hmm. This case was requested by Jamie Lovinger. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you we so haven't done much. one of your cases in a while. It's been too long. It's been too long. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. It's been a whirl. Oh, I'm just, I'm a songbird today. You really are. We got some trigger warnings here. Violent death, murder, and gun violence. I mean, that's pretty standard most of that. For, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But we also want to thank Mark for writing this up. Yes. Hey, girl. Thanks. There are a couple of... Okay. So I... Did you already know about this case before we covered it? Not even a little bit. Okay. I did. I first heard it on... I know this is controversial, but I did used to listen to the show Sword and Scale. But because I feel like if you go watch something on this or listen to something else on this, you're going to actually hear... When these people died. Mm-hmm. And that is traumatic. Yeah. You can't unhear that. No. And also, which part of me is kind of glad for because if they had danced around the recording and then not played it, I would mm-hmm. have been like, seriously? But then it was like, remember the Olympics? Oh. Remember? And that luge guy? Yeah. And he, we watched him die? Yeah. And it wasn't, I mean, it was traumatic. I'm not saying it wasn't. It wasn't gory. You didn't see, you know, blood everywhere or anything. But it was just right. that, the knowing of like, oh my God, I just experienced this. Yeah, because you, especially if you're not like bracing yourself for it. Yeah. And how are you going to know if you're ready to hear something like that or see something like that? Right. And I think we probably sometimes are like, well, I, I, yeah, I can probably handle it. But I don't know. Like when I listen to that episode and you know, because they play a lot of audio on that show. Like, mm-hmm. they bring in a lot of outside stuff. I started, you know, I'm listening and I'm like, oh my God, did I just hear somebody get shot? And then you yes. find out that, you know, these people die. And I'm like, did I just hear two people die? Like, it's very jarring mm-hmm. and I wasn't expecting it. So I just want you guys to know if you go watch something, there's a show called Hear No Evil, which I guess is like, See it's no like evil. see no evil, but it's exactly what you yeah. would think the difference is. Yeah. Yeah. Instead you know, of seeing it, it you're hearing it. Yep. Seeing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that was even a show, but I, and I wonder how many of those they have because surveillance video like see no evil. There's got to be a lot of that out there of just like, you know, OK, well, this person went to the Walmart earlier in the day. We have surveillance video like it doesn't have to be of the crime, but I wonder how much you no evil there really is. I do wonder if, and I haven't watched very many, or this is the only episode of Hear No Evil that I've watched. I do wonder if maybe they're putting into the category of Hear No Evil, maybe like a confession as well. Maybe it doesn't have to be like the actual Uh, crime happening. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like interrogations. Sure. Okay. Yeah. That makes more sense, actually. Because I just, I mean, I didn't think necessarily it was going to be the crime itself, but just, yeah, audio directly related to the crime. Right. Yeah. That's my best guess, but. I don't know. Yep, that makes a lot of sense then. Yeah, well, strike that from the record. Really smart, so stick with me, kid. 
I know we just got another bad review about how dumb we are. So, <laughs> um, all right. Well, it did I not guess. phase me at all. <laughs> no, you're like, here's another one. <laughs> well, I'm still praising myself for being the smartest. So, oh, true. Yeah. All right. So, you want to get into it? I keep interrupting you, but I'm not. It's all relative. <laughs> yeah. And of course, just, you know, incredibly quickly before we jump in. Check out our Patreon if you want bonus episodes. You can get, I mean, if you listen, if you follow us on Green Room on Tuesday nights and you're a $10 patron or higher, you could be getting five episodes a week. That is insanity. It's insanity. Well, and we've gotten some really, really amazing and sweet reviews on our Patreon being a really awesome Patreon to join. So Mm -hmm. if you don't want to take our word for it, like LeVar Burton, you can take their word for it mm-hmm. if you want to. But oh. it's all ad-free. You get tons of content. You get past episodes that we've released. There's so much there. So, Oh, yeah, for sure. Hundreds of episodes right there. Right right at your fingertips. Yeah. yeah, and if this is a holiday weekend for you, got some extra time, join up there and start listening. Right, exactly. Yeah. But anyway, let's go yeah. ahead and do it. Let's do it. So this case, since you clicked on it, you know that it's Byron David Smith. And this takes place in Little Falls, Minnesota. And the accents. Oh my God, the oh, accents. Oh, the accents. Yep. I love it. And I'm going to try my hardest not to try <laughs> to recreate it. But anyway, Little Falls, Minnesota. It's a really small town. It's less, a little less than two hours northwest of Minneapolis. It has a population of about 8,600 as of 2019. And it's exactly what you would expect when you think of like small town USA. One of its nicknames is Small Falls. <laughs> Do you think they're like, you're killing me, Falls. You're killing me, Smalls. Falls. <laughs> oh, God. Killing me, Small Falls. Yeah, there's got to be a way to do it. Yeah, I don't I know. find it. I do enjoy that it's called Little Falls, and they were like, we got to think of a nickname. <laughs> what? They're like, how about instead of Little, <laughs> we call it Small. Small Falls. <laughs> exactly. Although he was born in Detroit, Michigan, Charles Lindbergh spent his childhood in Little Falls, and he would later go on to achieve world fame by becoming the first person to complete a nonstop flight from New York to Paris. Go, Charles Lindbergh. (laughs) Wow, you're so, so supportive. I'm so supportive of him. (laughs) Oh my God, you go, girl. Get it. Love it. (laughs) This flight is generally thought to be one of the most influential flights in the history of aviation and helped usher in the era of modern aviation and travel between major cities around the globe. So without him, we wouldn't be able to do these things. I'm just saying, there's it reasons all, to be excited. to Lindbergh, yeah. yeah. You probably also recognize the name because in 1932, the Lindbergh's infant son was kidnapped and murdered in what newspapers called the crime of the century. The case prompted Congress to establish kidnapping as a federal crime if state lines are crossed with the victim. So Little Falls is home to the Lindbergh Museum and a Charles A. Lindbergh State Park named after Charles's father, who was a prominent Minnesota lawyer and U.S. congressman. I only, I guess this is just because of my love of true crime and I don't pay attention to anything else. You only um, knew about I, the kidnapping? I only knew about that. I didn't yeah. know any of the well, other stuff. I don't know. Yeah, it's the world we personally live in. It made bigger news than his flying accolades. But yeah. yeah. The events that took place in Little Falls in 2012 have been described as Fargo-esque, like the popular cult classic movie. Everybody knows everybody and everything about everybody. So 
We have Byron David Smith, who was a retired security engineer for the State Department. And he had moved back to his little hometown of Little Falls about five about five, five years. Five. Eh? Five. It's a combination of <laughs> fries and fives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause it's not a combination of even just numbers. Is no, it? it's fives. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he moved. <laughs> Shut up. He moved <laughs> back to Little Falls about five years prior to the event on Thanksgiving Day 2012. When he moved back, he was quick to make friends with his neighbors and they described him as a worldly guy and a great conversationalist. He would describe about his travels while he worked for the State Department. He would talk about living in Moscow, Cairo, Dakar, Bangkok, and Beijing. People said that he was fun to talk to because he had a breadth of knowledge about many subjects. Byron was involved in town activities too. He mentored Boy Scouts as part of a local scouts program. And he also let his neighbor's son use his garage whenever he needed a place for his rock band to practice. Wow. I know. What a nice guy. This is no Mr. Wilson. No. No. Everybody has seen his whole face. <laughs> exactly. Well, I was talking about Dennis the Menace. Are you talking oh. about <laughs> home like- improvement? <laughs> That's just Wilson. <laughs> that is just Wilson. I was like, I, I mean, Wilson was a nice guy. What? No, too. Mr. Like, Wilson. I was like, oh, maybe because he didn't show his whole face. That's got to be it. George Wilson. <laughs> I knew you wouldn't know George Wilson. George? <laughs> Wow, oh, what a hilarious misunderstanding. GD waiting pool. <laughs> <Yes>. Martha. <laughs> Where's the GD garden lanterns? <laughs> it's so good. Oh my God. Whoops. Yep. Hilarious. Makes more sense now. <laughs> in the months and weeks leading up to Thanksgiving, though, something had changed in Byron. John and Kathy Lang said that Byron just wasn't himself. He seemed afraid. He was very quiet when they would talk to him, which had become less and less as he had withdrawn more and more. The Lang said that he just seemed scared of something, but he would never, ever talk about it. In the weeks prior to the incident, Byron's home had been burglarized at least a half a dozen times by his own estimation. He only reported one of those burglaries to the police, and during the burglaries, Byron claimed that $4,000 worth of cash, military medals, and ribbons that he had earned during his career, his guns, jewelry, tools, and the watch his father was given for being a prisoner of war during World War II were all stolen. That's huge. It's huge. I mean, it's all a lot, but... You can't get that stuff back. Yeah, you can't get that back. And it's... I can understand. I mean, I would 100% be scared too. Now, his estimations don't make me... I feel like maybe maybe he was embellishing the amount of break-ins he's been experiencing. Right. And he only reported one of them. Yeah. You know, so that may leave some question marks. Absolutely. But as we find out, Byron was the kind of guy that decided he was going to take matters into his own hands. Correct. So we mentioned that Byron was a security expert for the State Department. So he was familiar with setting up security systems. And he decided that he needed to set one up around his home so he could keep an eye on things. Understandable. Mm-hmm. He set up several cameras around the outside of his house, giving a view of the porches on the front and the back of his home. His paranoia about the burglaries had gotten so bad that he actually started carrying around a gun and a holster while he was at home. Yeah, like not even like out places, just like inside his home. Yeah, he was like never not carrying. Yeah, there's something going on there. He's afraid. paranoia is scary and dangerous. (laughs) Yes, yes, definitely. Okay, so we've started out by telling you about Byron David Smith and painting a picture of what the neighbors thought of him. 
We've tried to give you a small glimpse into his mental state at the time, which was described by different neighbors at different times as anxious, panicky, scared or terrified, paranoid. And the one that stands out the most is unpredictable. And, you know, like you said, paranoia can make a lot of things happen. I feel like unpredictability comes along with paranoia. Mm -hmm. The victims in this case, though, were cousins, 18-year-old Haley Kiefer and her cousin, 17-year-old Nicholas, who went by Nick Brady. Nick's sister, Rachel, was usually with the pair, and the trio was, for the most part, inseparable. When their family described them, they were, you know, the, I mean, the standard, what you're going to hear on, like, date night. Lit up a room, best person ever, you know, would give you the shirt off his back, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Rachel and Haley were almost joined at the hip from a very young age. Usually when you saw one, the other was not far behind. I guess kind of like us. Yeah. Rachel said that her brother, Nick, was the type of person who would do whatever he had to do to make you smile and get you in a good mood. Rachel would call him Nickel Baby as a nickname, and when she used it in front of his friends, he would get pretty upset, but like more of a joking upset, not really mad, but I'm sure it was embarrassing. Yeah. Haley and Nick both grew up avid outdoors people. They rode four-wheelers. They went camping. I don't believe in any of those things, but I can appreciate, I can respect somebody else's decisions. Sure, sure. Yeah. They were both involved in sports in high school. Haley competed in everything from track to gymnastics to softball. Outside of the school events and things like that, there wasn't much for teens or young adults to do in Little Falls. So this is where you see, typically, kids start getting into trouble, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they're bored out of their minds. Yeah. So... Living out in the country, there also was not a whole lot to do. And once we got old enough to like, you know, drive or whatever, like one of the main activities in a very small town near here where we like hung out with a lot of people in um, Shelbyville was just cruising the strip, like literally just and, and then like hanging out in the Sonic parking lot after. Oh, yeah. And I remember when Ruby Tuesday opened, and that was a big deal. Oh, my gosh. Yes, it was a huge deal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah. So, you know, again, not much to do. What's going to happen? Kids are going to do what most kids do, get into partying, get into drugs, stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And this is, this is not like, um, we're not talking about super, super hard drugs here. This is mostly marijuana, marijuana cigarettes. Yes. Okay. So oh, yeah. The wacky, drug. wacky tobacco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And maybe some prescription pill use. And this is not to shame Haley and Nick at all, but it's important to the story because it could have been a driving factor behind some of their other activities. Haley and Nick were also thought to be involved in some criminal activity throughout their neighborhood and small town, specifically break-ins that had happened in their neighborhood, including breaking into Byron Smith's house. Nick's own sister claimed that Nick had stolen drugs from her home, and that crime was under investigation when Haley and Nick were killed. So again, this is in no way shaming the victims, but these are facts. These are things that happened. I mean... Kids in small towns get into stuff, you know, but these are things that were going on at this time. Well, yeah. And like we said, it is important to the story. It's not just being like, hey, look at how 
you know, all the things that they got into, the shenanigans and things like that. It's not right. at all to shame anybody. No. Yeah. yeah. After their deaths, police searched Nick Brady's car and found evidence in the vehicle that implicated Nick in a burglary of a retired teacher the night before they were killed. Again, after their deaths, a friend of Nick's was arrested on burglary charges and as part of a plea deal, he gave information that implicated Nick in previous burglaries before his death. Now, you would be hard-pressed to find anyone who would say that Haley and Nick deserve to die because of these burglaries, and you should. Like, the death penalty is not equivalent to burglaries, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah, no. That does not go together. But after their deaths, some members of their families doubted their involvement in the burglaries at all. Other family members said, you know, they didn't deserve to be punished for the crimes. Like, of course, you know, had they still lived, they would need to be held accountable for things that they did. But I don't think that would include the death penalty, right? I mean, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We're talking about kids burglarizing homes, which is 100% not okay to do. But yeah. Byron Smith doesn't get to play what they said, you know, judge, jury, and executioner. He doesn't get to dole out the death penalty for stealing. Exactly. There's a difference. There's a difference. So what happened on Thanksgiving Day nine years ago? Byron Smith decided that he was going to spend the day home alone instead of being with his brother. Neighbors had actually invited him over, but he said no, which they found odd since he had joined them in previous years. Instead, he decided he was going to stay home by himself and begin what he described as a yearly process of cleaning out his garage before it got too cold. When doing this, he decided that he would move his pickup truck down the road and around a corner, which was about a block away from his home near an adjacent property that he owned, to keep the truck out of the way while he was cleaning out the garage. It was by his own estimation about a three-minute walk back to his house from where he parked his Chevy S10. Once he moved the truck, he went back home and decided to read a book for a bit in his favorite reading chair in the basement before starting the cleanup process. The night before Thanksgiving, Nick and Haley, Nick Haley and Rachel had all stayed the night at a friend's apartment. On Thanksgiving morning, Nick and Haley left around 11 a.m. and told Rachel they were going to go to Nick and Rachel's parents' home. Plan was to meet later at their grandmother's house for Thanksgiving dinner. But unfortunately, Nick and Haley never arrived for dinner. Instead, Nick and Haley drove around, and when they passed by Byron's house, they noticed his truck was gone. So they decided to take this opportunity to case the house and see if anyone was there. When you watch the security camera footage from Byron's house, you can see Nick walking up to the house. And it is... I felt bad because at first I was like, well, they were they were really nice kids, you know? And not that they're not. I'm not saying that at right. all. But I was like, it's got to be an innocent reason that they're going up to the house. Because... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was like, maybe he invited them over or something. I don't know. Yeah. When you watch the footage, though, you can tell he's trying the doorknobs. He's Mm -hmm. looking in the windows. He's walking by every doorknob, like every door that's on the outside of the house, trying it. Yeah. So, yeah, he's checking to see if anything's unlocked and nothing is unlocked. I also wonder if these kind of crimes are going to be going down with, like, the rise of, like, Simply Safe door cams. You know, because there's so many people that have, like, get a notification if somebody comes up to their front door now. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Like, that would be, like, I don't know. I would just be, like, the one kid that was, like, would be terrified with my friends. And the one time I get with them, like, would get busted because there's cameras all over that yard. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This is why I don't do this (laughs) Exactly. Well, and hopefully it changes things for people Mm -hmm. because 
You shouldn't be breaking into shit. Yeah. In our neighborhood, the kids in this neighborhood like to break into cars. And from what I can tell, they don't steal anything. They just open the doors to see if they can get them open. (laughs) Or just all of my shit is garbage, which is true. (laughs) So I don't know. Never stolen any of my shit. We had a super old Xbox in the back of, like in the trunk one time. They didn't even take that. And they were probably like, this old bitch, not an Xbox One. (laughs) Well, who does want that? I mean, come on. And we couldn't give it away. That's the thing. Exactly. Somebody, you'd have to pay somebody to we take it. We were hoping it. somebody would steal. <laughs> right. Just kidding. But like, yeah, I don't know. But I've not, I don't know if kids breaking into actual houses here, but. Yes. And people break into your, and they're like, your car. And they're like, well, I don't really want nine old used Starbucks cups. So I think I'll just leave it. I know. Yeah. And I don't know why they're good cups. <laughs> Rinse them out. Good as new. Throw some soap on it. It's fine. Exactly. <laughs> so at one point, Nick noticed that there was a camera set up and he walked over and knocked it down. The camera was still recording, but only showed footage of the ground while the other cameras kept rolling. While Nick was doing all of this, Haley was allegedly acting as a lookout in front of the house. It wasn't captured on camera, but next, Nick went to a bedroom window and he broke it out. Once it was broken, Nick made his way into Byron's home. As this was going on, Byron sat in the basement listening. He heard the glass shatter, then he heard footsteps walking above him through his house. After a few minutes, he heard Nick at the top of the basement stairs, and as Nick descended the steps, Byron started shooting. Nick was shot twice and fell down the stairs, where he laid at the bottom. Byron then gets up and shoots him one more time in the face. Mm. He shot Nick with a semi-automatic Ruger Mini 14 rifle. This semi-automatic rifle isn't like an AR-15 where you just pull the trigger once and it sprays like bullets in a matter of seconds. With a semi-automatic rifle, it will only fire a single shot for each trigger pull. So he, this is cal- he had to think exactly. about this. Yeah, I mean that's gonna come across as premeditation in a court of law because you have to keep pulling the trigger mm-hmm. to make that decision. Mm-hmm. After Nick was dead, Byron drug his body away from the steps and went and sat back down. During his interrogation, he said he didn't know how long he sat there for. He was in complete shock and he lost track of what was going on. About 10 minutes after Nick was shot, though, Haley called into the house from the window yelling Nick's name, and this snapped Byron out of his, like, trance, and again, he just sat quietly until he heard footsteps above. Byron heard someone at the top of the steps, and as they came down, he again started shooting. Haley was struck by the bullets, and she fell down the steps like Nick did. As she lay in a heap on the ground, Byron went to shoot her again, and his rifle jammed. So what does Byron do? He pulls out a twenty-two caliber revolver that he had, and he shot her. Nick and Haley were both dead when they were supposed to meet their family for Thanksgiving dinner. But he called 911 right away, right? Oh, you're so sweet. It's so funny. Um, No, the next day, Byron called a neighbor and asked them to call police because something had happened. (laughs) So the neighbor called police and they rushed to Byron's house. And when they arrived, they found Nick and Haley's lifeless bodies. They were wrapped in a tarp in Byron's basement. When they asked why he didn't call and report the break-in and shootings when they happened, Byron said, well, I didn't want to ruin the officer's Thanksgiving. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to call bullshit on that one. <laughs> really? Yeah, I just think because- it's something nice. <laughs> if somebody is breaking into your house and you are scared for your life— And you have to make the choice of like, am I going to kill this person? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. You're not going to be like, oh, but you know what? It's a holiday, so I better wait until tomorrow to call. Like, you're going to be so freaked the fuck out, you want the police to get there immediately. And the thing is, too, so Byron's in his basement, right? If he was like down there and he was totally afraid and he didn't have a, a phone or a cell phone or something, and he was like, oh my gosh, if I come out, they could kill me. 
That might make sense. But you called directly after, right? No, there was a phone down there with him. Yep. It was within arm's reach. He could have gotten it and he could have called. Yeah, 100%. Okay, Brian. Byron, okay. Yeah. Okay. Initially, the police thought that it was a simple, like, cut and dry case of self-defense. Someone broke in and Byron, fearing for his life, shot them. But then they spoke to Byron down at the police station. Ooh, and let me tell you, he loves to talk. Thank God. I know. His poor attorney, but thank God. I know. Yeah, and his entire interrogation is on YouTube, and we'll link to it, so you can listen to it if you want to. She's long, though. Yeah. Now, when you listen to it, you can tell Byron is fairly intelligent. He's well-spoken. As the investigator starts to speak, Byron is almost giddy as he interrupts to give his name, birthday and address, you know, all of those kind of initial things they need to get out of the way. And the investigator reads Byron his Miranda rights and asks him if he understands them. And he says, it's very clear. Um, And he says like, yes, and that's why I want to waive them. You know, Mm -hmm. basically like, I want to give you everything that you need. And so I'm going to waive that right to be silent or whatever. And one thing I did notice is that the investigator is so friendly to Mm -hmm. him too. But you know what? I don't know if this is a common misconception, if this is a stereotype that I shouldn't be, but I think that it's fine. It shouldn't be like perpetuating, but Minnesotan people, they're the nicest people. That's what I was thinking. He's just like, oh, so you did? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, 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 so why didn't you call the, oh, okay. 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 Like okay. he just, he's so, and of course I know you also have to, if you just walk right in, you're like, yeah, fucking kill them. Like, right. They're not no. going to tell you stuff, but. Right. But this guy is like overly friendly. He's like, he's all right, so nice. help yourself to some cake and bars. Yeah. He's so nice. So the version of events that we went through earlier is largely Byron's version of what happened. And he went through this during his interrogation. From the start, he said that when he called the neighbor, he asked him to contact a lawyer first. But since the neighbor wasn't able to, he then asked them to call the police. Next, the investigator asked Byron a little bit about his history, if we lived with anyone, how long he'd been in the area, stuff like that. Again, he told Byron that it's his right to have a lawyer president, but oh. Resident? (laughs) Oh my. How are you going to get your lawyer to be president. There's all kinds of canvassing. There's a lot, a lot of uh, work that goes into that, Terrell. I don't think that you realize how hard that is. Look, I didn't say it's easy, but I said it's your right to have your lawyer be the president. That's all I'm saying. Uh, you know? This is America. <laughs> Land of opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Every lawyer has the right to be president. I don't know. I don't know what has happened. Um, Anyway, Byron declined this. He said, look, my lawyer doesn't have to be the president. I'll take any lawyer. It's fine. You know? I just, I feel like the president is busy. Well, he's pretty busy, yeah. Pretty busy. Probably not available today. It's Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, no, this is the day day after. after Yeah. Which is a holiday. Oh, my gosh. Yes, it's, well, Black Friday. Yeah. So deals aren't going to buy themselves. Exactly. Please do respect that. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. That word was present. Yes, I meant present. Yeah, you can have, you have the right to have a lawyer present. Yes, but also president. 
Yeah, I certainly don't want to, because you know what somebody will do? They'll leave a review and be like, they said that you're one of the Miranda (laughs) rights is that you can have your lawyer be the president. That's not true. (laughs) Obviously, that was a flub, dudes. Flubbed it. (laughs) Flubbed it. So then they talked about the past burglaries that had taken place at Byron's house. And he said he had reported one and he knew the officer that took the report and several of the details. Byron said the first break-in had been 12 to 15 years ago and had been going on for years. Okay. I I mean, just because it'll probably come up. Nick and Haley were like 17 and 18. Right. So respectively, they would have been at the very oldest five years old Mm -hmm. and six years old at the time. Right. So doubtful. Yeah. You know, so he says, this has been going on for years. And then he says, now I try not to be sexist, which is exactly what you say. Yes, that's exactly what someone says when they're about to do the exact thing that they say, I'm trying not to do. Mm -hmm. Well, I try not to judge, but here comes the most judgmental. Yeah, it's like- Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what somebody says before they go on to be very sexist. He claimed that he thought it must have been a female who did the break-ins because they stole stole clothes and not tools. Girls, women, we only care about clothes. Clothes and makeup and Channing Tatum. Yeah, and men only care about tools. Oh, well, yeah, you're going to hammer up some drywall. (laughs) Got to go get me a beer. Okay. Byron then claimed that a week after one of the break-ins, a high school student was seen wearing one of the military jackets that was stolen from him. But that was only hearsay. He literally like heard that from a friend who heard it from a friend or something. Heard it from a friend. Uh, <laughs> heard it from a friend. I, <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have said that. Yep. You did it to yourself. I did. But the thing is though about Byron, mm-hmm. and I don't really think it needs to be said, but I'm going to do it anyway. Byron is creating a fantasy in his mind where he is justifying his behavior. So what he's doing is he's like, listen, this was out of my hands. These kids have been tormenting me for 22 years, even though they're only 17. Yeah. (laughs) And your mind wants something to be there when it's not. Mm -hmm. And whoever told him these things, or if he just got it of his own volition, I don't know. It's not helping. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because I can't remember. I don't have it right in front of me right now, but it was like, it was like he'd heard one of the, like one of the neighbors mentioned like, you know, something a kid was wearing when they got off the school bus or something. It was like, mm-hmm. and they didn't actually like see it up close and, you know, just both military jacket, military style jackets. Did Byron stop to think that maybe they made more than just the one? I know because military style jackets, especially like around that time were pretty popular. Go to an army surplus store. Yeah, but even like, I remember one of my friends who only shops, well, then at Express or Victoria's oh, Secret. Oh, that clothes. was a very, very big look then, like that military. Yes, the military jackets. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because mm-hmm. I remember she had one and I was like, I want one. And then I was like, $30. No, <laughs> I don't think so. Like, not, I don't just carry around rubies and pearls and yeah, gemstones. You to walk into a bank and be like, hello, do I have a, an account here? Right, exactly. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, military jackets have gone through a lot of very stylish phases. Yeah, I have a military jacket in my closet, and it came from Miss KB, and I mm-hmm. stole it. 
No, yeah. just kidding. He gave it to me. <laughs> no, you stole it. And now it's on record and I'm going to call Judge Judy. <laughs> Bologna! <laughs> Byron then detailed another break into his home through his basement door. The paneling around the door was kicked in and then the intruder was able to reach in and unlock the deadbolt. This break-in occurred when Byron had left to go shopping in a nearby town. And around the same time, there was a garage on an adjacent property that Byron owned that had been burglarized and vandalized. A home on that property had also been burglarized at the same time. Now, my question to Byron is why you're not reporting these? Yeah. Because you don't have a leg to stand on if you don't report them. No, and like his neighbor, I, it seemed like he told his neighbor about more of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that he staged anything, but that's possible. It just, I don't know. If your home is burglarized and vandalized on multiple occasions, I would think that you are going to report that. Well, yeah. I mean, maybe if it's not that big of a deal the first time and nothing's been taken and whatever, okay, maybe not. I'll give him a maybe the first one. Mm-hmm. But if it's a recurring thing that has happened over the span of 12 to 18 years or 15 years. Right. And by this point, we know that he has all the security software up everywhere. He's got cameras pointing at everything. He's got audio mm-hmm. running. Like you would think you'd report that and be like, hey, I have the I have the person on camera. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just not buying what he's selling here. No. Next, the investigator asked Byron about the break-in and shooting. Brian recounted the story much in the way that we went through it. He did say that after he shot Haley and she fell, that his rifle jammed. When it jammed, Byron claimed that Haley laughed at him. And that's when he pulled out the 22 revolver and shot her. Not for any other reason, but she laughed at him. So I kind of had that one coming. Right, right. I don't believe it. No. Yeah, I don't believe that at all. And I don't know if he was just thinking like that the investigator would be like, oh, so she laughed at you. Oh, well, you did the right thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, because he says at one point, he's like, now I admit, you know, I did shoot more times than I absolutely had to, but. Yeah, it's like they were taunting him. Yeah, they were taunting him. Well, guess what? You don't get to kill somebody for taunting you. No, not at all. Like, that's still not okay, dude. Well, if that was the case, I would be dead. (laughs) All I do is taunt you. I know. You would be totally dead. Deader than a damn doornail. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he says, you know, she laughed. He shot her again. And then he drove her over. Nope. (laughs) What is wrong with me today? (laughs) Drogue. He called Drogo. I think it... (laughs) I think it was a mixture between drove and drug or drug. It was something. I don't. Yeah, but I, but drove had nothing to do with, I don't know. I don't know. Words are hard, man. I don't know. He dragged her to the tarp that Nick's body was already on. And once there, she starts gasping again. And Byron, in his own words, said, gave her a good, clean finishing shot Mm-mm. under the chin. What else does he say, though? What else does he say? Well, then he says he knew that, you know, at this point that this is basically what, quote, finished her because 
she gave out a death twitch. And he's like, you know, I've never seen it before in a human, but it's the same as it is in deer or beavers. Hmm. What is happening? Like, yeah. How, how is this real life? How are you saying it? And so calmly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. He's very just matter of fact when he's talking mm-hmm. about this. It's very strange. I can't even imagine what it was like for that in- interrogator or investigator who's like just the nicest damn guy on the block. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, it's, it's cool it's, you don't say. Yeah. It's really hard to be nice to this guy. Right. Ugh. At certain points, they talked about the guns Byron had. He was able to tell them when and where they were purchased and which ones would had been stolen in his alleged previous burglaries. He claimed that when this break-in occurred, he wasn't going to wait and see if they had guns. And he he did say, you know, if they're willing to steal guns, they're willing to use them. Now, in his mind, the same people have been burglarizing his home over and over and over and over. So he's even looking at every burglary as being taunted because he's like, right, these are the same people. They've come back. They're just showing that they don't care and they're just going to do whatever they want. Yeah. It's just... And I mean, that just seems so unlikely for obviously a lot of reasons. But like, if these kids, they're either, typically they're either stealing for money to, you know, if if it is for drugs, if they're going to buy drugs or if they're trying to look for prescription drugs in the home or something like that. Mm -hmm. But... Why would you hit the same house like 15 times? Right. Especially knowing that this person has security footage, you know, security cameras up. And like, you're asking to get caught by going to the same house over and over. Now, even if they didn't rob him multiple times, it also makes absolutely no sense for them to go to school and be like, hey, you guys, listen, I robbed this one guy. Let's fuck with him. You guys go rob him tonight. Okay, you guys go rob him tomorrow night. Like, it doesn't make any sense. No, not at all. It's just, you know. And, you know, he didn't ask any questions. The people start coming down. He sees footsteps coming down the stairs. He begins firing. That's all there is to it. From there, they talked about Byron's history with work, traveling, and living all over the world. It doesn't seem to take much to get Byron going on any given subject. And the investigator is what they're trained to do when they have a person who likes to talk, and that's just let them talk. Byron described about how he got upset when he saw how Haley and Nick were dressed. He was upset because even with the camera system he had set up, you wouldn't be able to identify them because their faces were hidden. Byron said that the rest of Thanksgiving day, night, and the next morning that he was terrified about another accomplice showing up to kill him. He was so terrified that he called the police right away to get out to the... Oh, no. No, not at all. Didn't do that not one time. He claimed that he thought their parents were in on the burglaries and that they would show up with guns to see what happened. This is so... It's pointing to a very severe mental break. Yeah. Like, he is so paranoid and so worried about this kind of stuff when he has no... Nothing... No evidence, nothing that will show him that this is even possible. Right, right. Around noon the day after Thanksgiving, Byron said he was finally comfortable enough to call the neighbor to tell the police. Because again, bringing the police over there is just going to set these burglars off. You know, it's it's certainly not going to make 
Byron any safer. Right, 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 right. The investigator then detailed what he pulled out of Byron's pockets when they searched him. There was a few rounds from each pocket. And Byron said he was wearing these same clothes when he killed Haley and Nick. So he's not changed in like a full day. The investigator asked if he minded if they took those clothes as evidence, and he agreed. He even pointed out some blood that was on one of his shoes. They also asked for Byron to give a DNA test via like the mouth cheek swab. As the first part of the interrogation drew to a close, the investigator asked if Byron would be okay talking with him again if they had any further questions. A few hours later, they continued the interrogation. It was a brief interaction this time. They just wanted to talk a little, get a little more information about the guns that were stolen from Byron and the guns he currently owned. After a few minutes, they again ended the interrogation. And the next part of the interrogation was the following Saturday. By this point, Byron had an attorney, but waived his rights to have his attorney become president while he was being questioned again. (laughs) Very gracious of him. They began by asking Byron about his surveillance system that he'd installed, and they asked him if he would agree to letting them take the footage, which he did. He then gave them detailed directions on how to view and transfer the data from the DVR hard drive where the footage was captured and stored. Again, this was like his job. Mm -hmm. So he, he knows how to get all this. What's very interesting to me is what we're going to find out is stored on there And he just like very willingly was like, make sure you get this, make sure you get that. But I think that the thing is with Byron, he doesn't feel like he did anything wrong. Right. It's not like, oh shit, the jig is up. They're going to find out. Yeah. He's like, go for it. It's all right there. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. After Byron was finished teaching them how to move the data, he, you know, as always loves to hear himself talk. So they asked him about vehicles that he owned. He named a couple different ones, uh, one of which was that Chevy S10 pickup. And they asked him where that truck was, and he described moving it to his adjacent property so he could clean out his garage, which doesn't make sense. Like, Mm -mm. you don't need to move your truck. Like, anytime I'm like, well, I need to clean a room. I'm not like, well, my car's got to get GTFO, you know? Like, (laughs) can't be here. It just doesn't make any sense. No. But this is kind of where the interrogation took a turn. Byron suddenly realized that moving his truck was, quote, the trigger for them coming to see me. Since his truck wasn't there, they assumed he wasn't home. Mm. (laughs) He's like, oh, you don't think that. Hang on. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You don't think that me moving my truck to simply clean my garage out, because that's the first, as anyone well knows, when you clean your garage out, you move your truck simply off your entire property, Mm -hmm. if we're being honest. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you can't clean. No, there's no way to do that. You don't think that that me moving my truck made them think I wasn't there and then... What? That's why they came to the house, do you? (gasps) It's like when Joey does really (laughs) intense long division and he's like putting everything... Oh my gosh, this this information is too much. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, come on. The investigator then goes on just to confirm details about when he moved the truck and where. Byron claimed he was worried about leaving it outside of his garage because of the break-ins, so he felt more comfortable leaving it parked on the road. On the road. How was that safer? Yeah. Like, you know, I I, I don't want to leave it in my driveway, but if I leave it abandoned uh, 10 miles from here, surely it'll be safer. <laughs> With the windows down and everything unlocked, I think exactly. it'll be safe that way. Yeah. 
They asked Byron about some blood that they found in his truck, and he said he'd have to check because it could be beaver, coyote, uh, human, muskrat. You know, it's just, we, we don't know. Right. I mean, I've got blood all over the place, and I'm like, I, I can't, I cannot tell you where this is from at no. all. So so much blood. Yeah, I mean, we, we've we got to test it. I mean, that's just natural, right? Like, mm-hmm. you got to test it to know, first of all, is it human or not? Okay. Right. Yeah, I wouldn't know that for sure. Yeah. And then which animal it is. He said he'd cut his head and he was bleeding a lot from that. And he said his head was dripping off and on throughout the day. There was no reason whatsoever it would be the male or female from the basement, though. It was dripping. It's not a fucking faucet. Although I will say any head injury, like if you get a cut on your head, you get popped right in the right in the schnoz, it's going to bleed. Mm-hmm. They bleed a lot. Yeah, there's definitely certain areas that bleed more than others, but like a cut like on your, I don't know. If it's bleeding that much on and off all day and you're leaving blood places, yeah, you need to get some stitches. Yeah, it shouldn't be bleeding that much. It's something you're taking care of at home. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. And also he just says, I mean, I don't know. I guess, again, he doesn't view Nick and Haley as people, but the male and female from the basement. It's just so cold. Yeah, it's very cold. And then, of course, to close out the interrogation, he reiterates that he's shocked that he never realized that moving his truck would be the trigger to entice them to come to his house that night. I guess... I wanted to entice you. It's just, he's such a, no, he's not a good actor, but he's really yeah. going for it. Mm-hmm. He's like, I, and again, I, I just can't, like it bears repeating. I had no idea. Yeah, I didn't know. Oh my gosh. Okay, Byron. So as the police were getting through all the evidence, they were making sense of the camera surveillance footage that Byron had had. They also discovered an audio recorder And when they plugged it into their computer to check it out, they listened through and checked out the spikes in the audio. And that's when they heard bizarre ramblings at first. (laughs) They heard Byron talking to himself, almost practicing what he would later say. And he was practicing talking to his neighbor. And he's like, Bruce, uh, stop by tomorrow morning. No, No rush, but as soon as convenient. Park to the north, 100 yards north of the corner and walk in from the west. Okay, first of all, Mm -hmm. just if it was you. Yeah. Don't use words like north and west. In 100 yards. In 100 yards, yeah. I'm like, who says that kind of stuff to their neighbor? Like, walk in from the west and park 100 yards to the north. Like, I'll look off. Tell me where to park. Park over there by that tree, you dumb bitch, and walk right? that way. Like, I'll be expecting you due north <laughs> at a quarter past Shut 11 up. in the morning. It's just, yeah, whatever. Blech. So next on the tape, you can hear the glass shattering. And for a few moments, you can hear just like faint sounds that might be someone walking around. Then a few minutes in, you can hear what sounds like somebody walking down the steps. This is where it gets, I think the steps coming down because you can hear them louder. That's when it starts to get really eerie and kind of like, oh my God, I'm about to hear this. Two shots ring out. You hear Nick groan, then a third shot. And Byron says, you're dead. You're dead. You're dead. The way he says it is so creepy. Mm Mm-hmm. Then you hear the tarp being opened. You hear Nick's body being placed on it for the next several minutes. Footsteps are heard walking around. Byron then gets near the recorder again, and you can hear him just breathing heavily. 
A few minutes later, you can hear very faintly Haley saying Nick. Mm-hmm. A few seconds later, when you hear Haley coming down the stairs and you actually hear the shots ring out again. He also says in the interrogation that he had no idea, you know, male, female, right. like whatever. He's like, I, I had no idea that it was a girl because, you know, this person just came down the stairs, their faces are covered, like whatever. You hear her and, you know, not to say that every female sounds like this, but you can tell it's a girl coming down the stairs. Mm-hmm. You can tell it's a girl yelling out Nick, mm-hmm. but he doesn't say that she says anything at first. And he's just like, well, I had no way of knowing, you know, like whatever. Mm-hmm. He knew. Yeah. He a hundred percent. It's just another lie uh-huh. he's caught in. Yep. So he shoots Haley. She falls down the steps. You can hear her mumbling something. Definitely. She's just in shock. Then the click of the rifle as it jams. Byron says, oh, sorry about that. And then another click of the rifle. And Haley says, oh my God. Then three shots ring out as Haley screams. Byron yells, you're dying. Mm. As Haley screams one last time. And you hear one last shot. Then Byron says, bitch. Oh my gosh. And from there, it's the sounds of Haley's body being moved to the tarp. And then the final shot. It's awful. And you can actually hear him like, when he talks about that, quote, clean finishing shot, mm-hmm. he picks her head up to, to shoot that. her on the back, like severing her brainstem. Mm-hmm. And then you hear you hear her head fall mm-hmm. and thud against the floor because he just drops it. Ugh. It's horrific. It's terrible. So the footage left on the recorder sounds pretty much like the ramblings of a madman. It's literally just Byron talking to himself. But here are some of the things that he says. He says, cute. I'm sure she thought she was a real pro. Of course, I'm safe now. I feel a a little bit safer, not totally safe. I'm shaking a little bit, but still a little bit safer. It's just, he's obviously like, oh, I gotta, I gotta make sure I'm talking about how scared I am or whatever. And he he whispers so much of it. Mm -hmm. Of course, I'm safe. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's just so creepy. It is very creepy. He says, I left my house at 1130. They were both dead by one. I refused to live in fear. I felt like I was cleaning up a mess, worse than spilt food, worse than vomit, worse than shit, cleaning up a mess. Oh my God. You're dead. There was a major complication in my life. You don't want to know. Believe me, you don't want to know. I am not a bleeding heart liberal. I feel like I was cleaning up a mess, the worst mess possible, and I was stuck with it. He's heavy breathing through the entire thing. I was doing my civic duty. The law enforcement system wouldn't handle it. I had to do it. It fell in my lap. It fell in my lap. It fell in my lap. She threw her problem in my face and I had to clean it up. I have not yet called the sheriff. She they, threw her problem. I, th- th- just, like, it doesn't make, no. It just doesn't make any sense. Mm-mm. They weren't human. I don't see them as human. I see them as vermin. I, had, I see them as social deviants. Yeah, he also at one point says social... Social problems, social mistakes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Social mistakes, absolutely. And he's kind of, I mean, he's saying this kind of quietly. Like, uh, I, I just Yeah, it's all this, whispering this like under his breath. Yeah. yeah. He says, in your left eye, like I give a damn who she is, like I care who she is. And I'm sorry. he say in your left eye before they even come down the stairs? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Yeah. Just keep that in mind. I'm so sorry. So much regret. I tried to be a good person. I'm a sucker. They think I'm here for them to take advantage of. Is that the reward for being a good person? And then they dump this mess on me. Who is they? Who is they with their mess? What's the mess? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. She threw her mess in my face. Right. 
It's exciting and it's highly profitable until someone kills you, until you try to take advantage of somebody who's not a sucker, not a patsy. Mother and father are both semi-psychotic. I put even odds that one or the other will come over here with a gun. I received a death threat. I recorded it. You'll get a copy of it. If I get a death threat, you'll get a copy of it. And scattered throughout the tape, you can hear Byron rehearsing what he's going to say to his neighbor, lawyer, aunt, the police, all kinds of people. It is literally all over the place. Yeah, he's like, he like practices talking to the lawyer, like just walking into a lawyer's office the day after Thanksgiving, which, spoiler, Byron, they're not open that day. (laughs) Um, But he is like, I realize I don't have an appointment, but um, I've had an issue come up and I'm sure you're very busy and just like, Mm -hmm. it's so weird. Go weirdest. Yeah. Leading up to the trial, it was obvious that Byron's lawyers were going to go with the self-defense or castle doctrine defense. Under Minnesota state statute, this is a quote, reasonable force may be used upon or toward the person of another without the other's consent when the following circumstances exist or the actor reasonably believes them to exist. When used by any person in lawful possession of real or personal property, in resisting unlawful interference with such property. Another state statute states, the intentional taking of the life of another is not authorized except when necessary in resisting or preventing an offense which the actor reasonably believes exposes the actor to another great bodily harm or death or preventing the commission of a felony in the actor's place of abode. That is so... Fucking wordy. (laughs) It is. Like, and how do they know that so many actors are going to be in one house together? I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it's like how your lawyer gets to be the president. There's, there's so much stuff Mm -hmm. in like criminal justice that like we just didn't know about. Yeah. I mean, I'm learning a lot here. I know. And also nothing because that first state statute, mm -mm. nothing there. Yeah. Many speculated that Byron stopped after the first shot, or had he stopped after the first shot, he would not have been arrested. The law doesn't permit you to execute somebody once a threat is gone. Minnesota is not a stand-your-ground state like Florida is. In Florida, a person who is in a dwelling or residence in which the person has a right to be has no duty to retreat and has the right to stand his or her ground and use or threaten to use non-deadly force against another. It gets pretty wordy here, but in order to defend yourself or deadly force, if he or she reasonably believes that using or threatening the use of such force is necessary to prevent imminent death or great bodily harm or another, or to prevent the imminent commission of a forcible felony. So Minnesota is what's known as a reasonable person doctrine state. And Byron, I think, is not going to fit that because he'd be just a reasonable person. I know. That's giving a lot of credit and putting a lot of faith in people. Like, if you're reasonable, (laughs) we can deal with you. (laughs) Let's just always be reasonable. And Byron's like, whoops, couldn't do it. Yeah. ABR, always be reasonable. All right. So law professor Joseph Daly defines the reasonable person doctrine state as If a reasonable person would see if you are in fear of great bodily harm or death, that's the statute. It comes down to what would a reasonable person see in the situation for Mr. Smith? Essentially saying that if someone outside the situation would look at it and be like, okay, yeah, I totally get that. I would feel that way too. Then 
it's okay. Byron's trial started on April 21st, 2014. On April 29th, after only three hours of jury deliberation, a guilty verdict was returned on two counts of first-degree murder with premeditation and on two counts of second-degree murder. He was immediately sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. And many jurors cited the audio recordings, which were played countless times during the trial as one of the biggest factors in their decision. It was the most damning piece of evidence. After the conviction, Byron Smith's lawyers appealed to the Minnesota... uh, I cannot say Minnesota. (laughs) The Minnesota. I keep saying Minnesota. I don't know what is wrong with me. Like, legitimately. Well, your brain is mush. It's mush. an idiot, yes. Yeah, I just, I don't know what, like, it's not even, like, usually if we record after lunch, I would expect this, like, but I feel like I'm disappointed in myself because I'm like, I expected better from you in the morning, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm over here like George Strait. I've come to expect it from you. Oh. hmm Excellent. Excellent <laughs> reference. I love it. Thank you. I'll take it. Okay. So after the conviction, Byron Smith's lawyers appealed to the Minnesota Supreme Court, but they upheld the conviction and the sentence. They then filed a federal appeal, which was again denied. Then they filed a petition with the U.S. Supreme Court, which was also denied. Byron David Smith, yep, is currently serving his sentence at Oak Park Heights Correctional Facility. I barely made it through that sentence. That was, yes, I felt (laughs) the stumble, but I was like, she's going to do it. She's going for the gold. She's going to do it. I just went for it. Yep. I said, you know what? I just got to finish this out. Yeah. (laughs) Words are hard, man. I don't know. Yes. Yes, they are. But, you know, one of the things that the prosecutors said in this was, that he like lured them there by leaving his, you know, moving his truck. And I don't think you can make somebody break into your house. I don't think you can either. I don't, the fact of the matter is, and this is not a judgment, but they were looking for a house to break into before Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. They were, they were driving around. They were like, who can we break into? They did see that he didn't have his truck in his driveway. So they're like, oh, let's go hit up Brian's house. Mm -hmm. Byron's house. Byron. Why? But yeah, I mean, it wasn't like he put a sign in his yard that said, hey, hey, uh, you know, I can't even think of the words. Hey, bad guys, come steal from me. Yeah. Now that does, I feel like that does lend, well, because there had been a string of burglaries in that neighborhood and he had been broken into the one time before. So I just... Don't, I'm not sure that I believe that his house in particular had been broken into like a dozen times or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, okay, like, I don't know, like in my neighborhood, how it's like common that like in the summer, the kids will start to try, you know, car doors and trunks and stuff like that. If I, I don't know, left something out for them to try, you know, maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't, it wouldn't be totally uncommon. So I think he had at least enough knowledge that like, you know, there's a string of burglaries. Maybe it'll be too much for them to resist, but you shouldn't break into somebody's house. And that's just a fact. Right. And the thing is, I mean, yes, he did move his truck, but he didn't like leave any of the doors unlocked or anything. Now he was waiting to ambush them. Yes, he absolutely was. And I mean, and you hear that glass shattering. I mean, they break a window. However, they're kids. Mm-hmm. They were unarmed. They didn't even have a pocket knife on them. They yeah. had nothing gone. They them. were totally unarmed. Now, do I think that, you know, people in home should be sitting ducks and like, no, you know, no, I don't think it should be like that either. But 
They were unarmed. They were young kids. They did not deserve to die for doing stupid shit that young kids do. Well, and the thing is, he had plenty of opportunities to Uh fix this situation before it got so bad. He could have called the police. Yeah. He could have yelled out and said, hey, I'm down here and I have a gun. Exactly. They would have hightailed their asses right out of there. Yeah, because he had the advantage. Once they're walking down the stairs, he could have picked them off if they kept on coming. Absolutely. Maybe that would have been the difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. And one shot to completely incapacitate them. Okay. Because in Minnesota, if somebody's breaking into your house, you have the right to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then he continued to shoot and continued to shoot and continued to shoot. And he says in his interrogation, I fired more than was absolutely necessary. Okay. Yeah. Well, you've committed murder. Absolutely. And we have audio of um, it. Yeah. And then you got the audio recordings on top of that. So I do wonder if, you know, he had to know that once his home was opened up as a crime scene that they were going to take these audio recordings because he recorded the audio on purpose. It's not like the audio recorded in the background by accident. Mm -mm. No, he he recorded that on purpose. Mm -hmm. So he knew they were going to get that. And like you said, he didn't think that he did anything wrong, which does make me wonder about a mental break because he did have that increasing paranoia beforehand. This is in no way saying that it's okay what he did. I'm just wondering if mental health did have something to do with it. Well, I think it absolutely did. Because this is definitely not like what most people think, you know, thought of Byron at that point either. But he had begun to change by being so paranoid. And it was like he was hyping the story up in his mind. And these were kids that were watching him, that these were like highly sophisticated, you know, like, a burglary ring. The wet bandits? <laughs> yeah. Like, and that their parents were going to come with guns. Right. Their parents are he's, in on the burglary. Got all these conspiracy theories that yeah. he's living out in his mind. Yeah. And it's not like, because I don't know why, when I said the wet bandits, it made me think of it. When Kevin McAllister, he hears them say, we're going to come back and get him. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Then he puts out this string and like all these all of these things to capture him like mousetrap then he but the thing is he already calls the cops and says hey meet me over here i've got these guys come get him yeah could have learned a lesson that could have been something different that he tried exactly i don't know yeah i mean it just really like i can't remember what we said this was it in the gabby petito thing on green room first but like there's a third option Mm -hmm. There's always another option. Yeah, there's always another option. Like, it's not this very black and white, like, okay, well, either these kids are going to break in and murder me or I'm going to murder them first. Like, it's not kill or be killed here. Mm -mm. It's just not. Absolutely. Did those kids need to be held accountable, accountable for breaking into somebody's house? Yes. Did they deserve the death penalty? No. Mm -mm. And the thing is, I mean, he's watching all of this because he has one of the... Like he has a monitor with all of the camera footage in his basement. He's watching this happen. Yeah. That would have been a perfect time to call the police. Exactly. There's kids breaking in. Get over here now. hmm Well, but we forgot, though. He didn't want to ruin their Thanksgiving. Oh, my gosh. I completely forgot. Yeah. What so a nice mind. guy. Yeah. yeah. What a nice guy. I mean, come on. Like, just... <laughs> Fuck off, Byron. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the case. That's the case. What do you yeah. guys think of it, though? Yeah, let us know what y'all think. Yeah. 
And we're not playing the the audio here. It's just to, again, like we wanted you guys to know it's out there. We'll link to the, some of it, but like, you know, if you want to hear it, that's, we just wanted you to be fully prepared, but let us know if you do, you know, listen to any of it as interrogation, whatever, and what you guys think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Okay, you guys, we've got some Hey Girl thanks to do for our new patrons before we go. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I wasn't expecting a yippee. Well, there you go. I liked it. Gotta be quick with me. Mm -hmm. Thank you to Melissa Fitzsimmons. Thank you to Liz. Amy Terry. Chelsea Griffin. Heather Huffman Woolham. Ashley Swayce. Kendall Kearns Sardinas. Michelle Styla. Nikki. Ivory, Kirsten Hunt, Logan McCullen, Corey Howell, Sydney Trumbo, Brianna, Sam Cooper, Geraldine Thronberry, Carrie Penton, Antavia Green, Alexandra Perry, Bethany Smoot, Alex Delvecchio, Brynja Bjarni. Yes. Okay. I think. And if it's not, we're so sorry. Sorry. Jess Everingham, Hannah Jensen, Ellen Morrison, Francine Campan Harrow. And Holly Waters. Yay. Yay. Thank you so much. Thank you. And sorry if we butchered your names, but we love you guys. Yeah, we love you, even if we fucked your whole name up. Yeah. Sorry. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening, and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. 